hopefully I won't sound like a drum beating something into you this morning. Uh, but we're at a very important time in Luke, and there's an intensity that's growing. Uh, Jesus is in his last year of ministry. He's moving towards Jerusalem. And you, you might guess he, he feels the time compression. And he's knowing he's leaving, you know, the stage. And when that's happening, you know, if you're a parent and you have a child, it's one more year or two more years. You know, you feel like pressure's on. I've got to got to get as much in. And I want to make sure there's clarity. And I want to make sure we kind of drive home some very key points. And you'll see that uh, this week and next week particularly. We're in Luke chapter 12. And we're going to read five verses. If you don't have your Bible, uh, the blue Bible in front of you is page 871. And then if you would um, put your finger there and flip over to Revelation 3, last book of the Bible, page 1030. And we're going to end there this morning. But I want to just read for you these five verses and... Uh, just sit and try to absorb what these are the words if you've got the red letter bible these are red letters these are jesus's words to his disciples and that includes 21st century disciples stay dressed for action keep your lamps burning and be like men who are waiting for their master to come home from the wedding feast so that they may open the door to him at once when he comes and knocks. Blessed are those servants whom the master finds awake when he comes. Truly I say to you, he, the master, will dress himself for service and have them recline at the table, and he will come and serve them. If he comes in the second watch or even the third and finds them awake, blessed are those servants. But know this, that if the master of the house had known at what hour the thief was coming, he would not have left his house to be broken into. You also must be ready for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. Let's take a moment to reflect on God's word. Catches your attention, does it not? Some of you were, what, what door, what, where, where? You sort of had that urgency to get up and answer the door, or you, maybe a few of you had the urgency to tell somebody next to you, go answer that door. <laughs> who, who is it when you hear that knocking? What are they looking for? Will I answer? This morning, Jesus is knocking, I would say, at the door of the church and the door of your heart. And my question for us as a church, 
will we answer? Will we be awake? Will we have our lamps burning? And then also you, what about you? Are you awake? Or in time have you somehow drifted and fallen asleep and you just don't hear the knock anymore? Let's pray. Lord, um, these are your words, so I want to get them right in the way that you meant them. And I want your people to hear so that we would be ready, dressed for action, that our lamps would be burning at whatever hour you decide to return. Help us, Holy Spirit, I pray in your name. Amen. Look back with me to chapter 12, verse 1. It's the beginning of Jesus' third year. Jesus has gone viral. In the meantime, when so many thousands of people had gathered together that they were trampling one another to get to Jesus. So he's done all these miracles. Certainly in this small piece of geography, people know when Jesus is moving sort of through their area. And thousands, if not tens of thousands of people are sort of crushing in. You can imagine being at a big stadium or something. They're crushing in to try to get near Jesus to see what he might do. And Jesus stops at this moment and specifically in the midst of this crowd is teaching his disciples. He doesn't mind that anybody else hears, of course, but he's taking the moment to say, guys, I'm going to step off the stage pretty soon. And it's going to be just you. And you're going to be surrounded now by the crowd. And I'm not going to be here. And they're going to be looking at you. Are, are you awake? Are you ready for action? I mean, when I leave, will your lamp still be burning hot like it is right now? Because that's what I'm looking for. I'm looking for people who are going to stay ready no matter how long it takes for me to return. Are they going to be ready so that when the world comes and and is looking for some light, there's light to be found. And when I come and I knock on the door, you're, you're ready. You're ready. Each segment here from 12 on to our passage is an example of what he wants us to be ready for. We've talked about each one of these. Verses 1 through 3 in chapter 12. Beware of false teaching, the false teaching of hypocrites. And whatever happens, don't become a hypocrite. This is one of the first things. Hey, when I leave, what's gonna, the tendency is like yeast into bread. It'll just ease into the church. You won't even see it. And it could ease into your soul that you wouldn't even see it, and suddenly you're just acting. You're not really following me anymore. You're you're acting like you want other people to notice who you are. And especially when you get a great crowd around you, the tendency is going to, instead of really following Jesus, especially at the hard points, you're going to go, not everyone's going to like this message, so I'll just act. And I'll be a hypocrite. And Jesus warns his disciples, especially in the great crowd, this is the moment when people are watching, 
Don't be an actor. And be careful of being in a church that especially at the leadership position, people are acting. Don't worry about somebody who's flashy. Don't don't get caught up with the, the shiny object. Get caught up with the Word of God. That's the one thing you have to have. It may not be presented as a shiny object, but you have to have that. Don't follow people who are acting. Don't, whatever happens, don't become an actor. Second warning, verses 4 through 7. Jesus is informing his disciples who really want to follow him, there will be persecution. Period. Now, it comes in different forms. We live in a country that's relatively safe. So your persecution may just be sort of like a dismissal. Uh, I mean, who believes that anymore? But if you live in India, and I've been to India and I've preached at a pastor's conference, when you talk about this persecution, they think about death and physical harm. So I was at this pastor's conference preaching, and I was not talking about this text, but another text on persecution. And every one, every one of these pastors and their wives that were there all had had physical harm. And they were all going back to a city or a village that was going to cast them out or try to get rid of them. So when they heard this passage, they heard it a lot differently than I hear it. I mean, I hear it like, uh, he's a preacher, you know, like the Jesus person. You know, that's the, like the worst I get. I don't get somebody beating me. I don't get my family rejecting me. But Jesus is saying, if you're really going to follow, there's going to be some times when some people could be your family. They're going to they're going to dismiss you. And at it's that point you must follow. See, that's like that's the key point. Right when the persecution is the greatest is the best time to be a witness for Christ. The third warning, verses 22 through 34, we looked at last week. Don't be anxious. And don't be anxious specifically when it comes to wealth. Look with me at verse 29. And do not seek what you and do not seek what you are to eat and what you are to drink. Don't be worried. Verse 30. All the nations of the world seek after those things. See, I'm trying to get you to look different than everybody else. I don't need you to be as consumed by what is consuming you. I, I don't need that. I need somebody else who's consumed about the kingdom of God. Instead, seek first his kingdom. There's, there's going to be two. You're going to live in a world of two kingdoms. My kingdom or your kingdom or the world's kingdom. And at that point when the, the, the fighting is fierce that you want to just become this materialistic person and say, I've got to have this house and this car and this clothing and this food and this education. At that point, you've got to let go. That is the moment. I need somebody right at that moment to say, I'm chasing a different kingdom. Three great challenges not just in the first century, today. Don't, don't be an actor. Just don't be an actor. 
He's not asking for people to be perfect. But just don't act. Don't do get comfortable with being on the outside of the crowd. And, and don't be anxious. Our text today provides the fourth place or the fourth example of where Jesus says there's a future where I and a, and a place in the future I really need you to be followers. And he provides a picture of the challenge that the, that the disciples would face. And they don't really understand this at this point. They couldn't. But he's drawing a picture. Just so great. Jesus is so great when he's teaching stuff. He's like, I know a lot of you guys are visual learners. Your story, you like stories. That's Paul Phillips. I like that. And so I'm going to just try to paint a picture for you. And it's a very common picture of the master of the house who is Jesus. He's the son of man in verse 40. He's gone away to a wedding feast. Presumably somebody else's, but maybe his. Whatever the case is, he's gone away. He's, it takes a long time in those times to travel. And then the wedding feast is a long time. And it's going to come back. And they're not sure when the masters are going to return to the house, which is the church in this illustration. So you see what Jesus is setting up. I'm going to go away from the church. And, and I'm going to leave my servants. That's you. That's me. He's going to leave us in charge. Can you believe that? This doesn't seem like a good game plan to me. But he's saying, I'm going to go away. I still need my, my house to be in order, and I'm going to leave you all there. And the one thing I want you to do is to be ready. Stay dressed for action. Keep your lamps burning. Don't be asleep, be awake. So Jesus is forecasting this time that we call the church age, the, between his resurrection and ascension to his return. So there's some time in between, and it doesn't say how long it is, and he could come at any time, and I want you to be ready. So I just want to make a few observations here that will help us. First of all, Jesus does provide a remarkable picture of the future. He's saying there's going to be this age, this space, the church age. This is the time we're in between resurrection and return. There's going to be a time when Jesus isn't with us in the same way that he was with the disciples and he's going to be with his church at the end. There's going to be a space where we're in charge, so to speak. Now, I know some of us might have heartburn here, and say, well, he does give us the Holy Spirit, Paul, in case you missed that. And I didn't miss it. But the point Jesus is making here is that at least physically, he's not going to be here in the same way he was with his disciples and the way he is is going to be at the end. And in that moment, in that period of time in the church age, the world is going to watch. That's why he's doing it in the middle of the crowd. He's saying, I want you to be acting like me, following me, in the middle of this world, in the middle of this crushing crowd, the world is going to be watching. And how will the disciples behave when the master is gone? All of us have had this experience, have we not? You're in middle school. Teacher steps out. What happens? Well, we find out who the fools are in the class. 
right? I mean, and it doesn't take long in middle school, like a second or two. Right? And the teacher always says, well, we find out who you are when the teacher's not here. And I'm like, we're all fools, I can tell you that. But you have that feeling. I mean, you, you understand it. Like when the teacher's there, oh, everybody's, you know, okay. Teacher steps out. Well, then we find out who everybody is. When I worked for the Atlanta Braves, Ted Turner, the owner of the Braves, we're in the press box. That's where I did my work during the game time. So we're all kind of jawing and doing our work and stuff. Then Ted Turner comes in. Oh, okay, well, it's super serious, right? Because the boss comes in. The big presence comes in. And, and Jesus is saying, hey, I'm going to be gone, and everyone's going to be staring at you. And are you going to act like a middle school boy? <laughs> and just act like a fool? Or are you going to be a real person when somebody's coming out from, out from the dark and trying to find some truth, trying to find some light, trying to find some hope? you actually providing it. So Jesus is talking about this space. What a responsibility. What an opportunity. And I wish I had the time. You could go to Ephesians and other places that the, gospel, the writers of the New Testament say, not just the world is watching, angels, rulers, authorities, and heaven are watching. All of creation, heaven and earth, is watching the church right now all of creation heaven and earth is watching you right now me right now this is what Jesus is trying to help these disciples to say to hear it, ma- it really matters you don't even understand the gravity of what you're I'm asking you to do. Angels are peering into things that they're learning from you as you follow me. The second observation here is that Jesus sets up a contrast. He knows that when he goes away, there's going to be a contrast between those who are ready and those who are not ready. And really, it's a sobering contrast. He's going to treat the people who are ready and not ready differently. Now, again, he's talking to his disciples. This isn't the world and the church. This is the church and the church. I want to make sure you understand that. And he knows when he comes back, some people are not going to be awake. They're not really going to be following. They're going to be acting. And those people will be treated differently than the people who are ready. Now, let's remember, these are Jesus' words. Don't shoot the messenger. One receives a blessing, and the other receives a beating. Verses 45 through 47. But if that servant says to himself... My master is delayed in coming. This is chapter 12, a little bit further down. The master is left. Uh, He seems delayed, and he begins to beat the male and female servants. He begins to take advantage of the other people inside the church. He begins to live for himself by eating and drinking and getting drunk. He's acting. 
The master of that servant will come on a day when he does not expect him and an hour he does not know, and he will cut him in pieces and put him with the unfaithful. Do you know what cut him to pieces and put him with the unfaithful means in the Greek? Cut him to pieces and put him with the unfaithful. There's no way to make this like a pillow, a soft landing. The the reason he's doing this is Jesus knows there will be people who read this, like in Wilmington, North Carolina in 2022, who are asleep. So he's using this like this. This isn't the, this is, hey, wake up. It's, it's not too late. You, you may have felt like you were alive at one point, but maybe you've drifted off to sleep. Th- this is the point. Wake up right now before the master comes back. Contrast that with people who are blessed, verse 36 and 37. Be like the men who are waiting for their master to come home from the wedding feast. They open the door at once when he knocks. Blessed, verse 37, are those servants. Truly I say to you, he will dress himself for service and have them recline at the table. And he will come and serve them. If he comes in the second hour, midnight, if he comes in third, 3 a.m., and he finds these people awake, blessed are those servants. Blessed. Get the feeling here, the way Jesus is telling his, his story is that he, he has a joyful expectation. The way he tells the story, it could have been, and he comes into the house and he finds out who's asleep, right? But instead it's, it's like he can't wait to see who opens the door. I mean, I think he does know, but you get the story feeling like, I can't wait to see Paul Phillips' face, like, He's going to open the door. I I want you to feel the joy of that moment right now. There will be this moment. And you can be the person who opens the door and see Jesus and all the persecution, all the anxiety, all the other pressures are going to melt in comparison to this one moment. And this is the thing Jesus is saying, I can't wait. And this is the mind-blowing part. You notice what he says? I can't wait to come in and do what? I can't wait to have you serve me. That would definitely be okay with me, would it not? But that's not what he says. This is the mind-blowing part. I can't wait to come in, put on the servant's clothes, you sit down at the table, and I serve you. This is incredible. Nobody would make this up. This is what makes Christianity so different than any other religion. You would never say, God can't wait to come and serve you like a servant. Only Jesus does this. It's amazing. And that's what he's saying. I can't wait to see your face, and I'm going to run in and put on the servant's clothes, and I'm going to serve you dinner. And this is the moment. This This is the moment he's waiting for. And he desperately wants you to be awake. Don't, don't miss this knock. Then we have this um, second contrast. Awake versus absent. First one is 
that when he, when he comes, he's going to find people and they're going to be beaten or blessed. The second contrast is awake or absence. Be dressed for action. Keep the lamps burning. This is somebody who's awake. You might ask yourself, well, what dressed and ready for action? What, what kind of actions? Well, there's lots of actions we could say, but let's just keep with chapter 12. Don't be anxious. Don't be an actor. Endure persecution. I mean, we don't need to go anywhere else in the Bible. We can just stay here in chapter 12 and just say, well, where am I on my anxiety? Anxiety. Am I really fighting against that? Am I willing to stand for the truth in my family or my business or in a culture and take whatever may come? Am I acting? These are the actions of somebody who's ready. Lamps burning, frequently a reference to God's guidance, particularly through God's word. And thankfully enough, Bill Poteet used the passage today. Psalm 119, thy word is a what? A lamp. It's a lamp and a light. So you've got to have God's word, you know, at the center because it's the lamp. It's the light. It's the, it's the thing that you have to share. It's particularly the thing that the church has to share. He wants to make sure that when darkness closes in, when he leaves... There's a light. I mean, he is the light of the world, but he's going to sit at the right hand of God, the Father Almighty. And yes, the Holy Spirit's going to be here, but he's saying, now you're going to be that light. This is the light. You've got to have that at the center of your being. You've got to have it at the center of your church because people are going to come from a very desperate darkness and say, I don't know how to get home because I'm completely lost Can you, the church, help me? And if we don't have the word of God, we cannot help. We can give advice, but that's different than what you're looking for for your soul. I've used this illustration, but it's so perfect, I'll use it again. There's a true story about a ship captain heading directly into into an oncoming ship at night. And the other ship signaled, turn around. To which the captain, who was very proud, his name was Frank Moran, he signaled back to the ship, no, you turn around. This is the SSS Poseidon, and I'm Captain Frank Moran. Finally, the other ship signaled back to the proud captain and said, turn around, this is the lighthouse. You're about ready to shipwreck your life. People are heading for the rocks or they have hit the rocks and they need a lighthouse. And the church is supposed to be that. And the way the church is that is by having the word. of It's not any program. It's not any great singing. It's the word of God. That's the light that change. You know it, it changes your life, changes your perspective. And Jesus is saying, it's right at the darkest moment, maybe like right now, when it feels like everybody's lost their identity or they're making up their own identity. It's at this moment I need the church to be light. 
It's not when the culture's all getting it. It's at the darkest moment. That's the moment I need you to be light. You, the church, you individually. The sad contrast here is the lamp has gone out in some churches. Verse 39. A thief has come. Stolen the lamp. And it got replaced by the wisdom of the world or a show. Or it got replaced by man's words, not God's words. A.W. Tozer, a writer last century, probably his best known book, The Pursuit of God. If the Holy Spirit, the lamp of God, was withdrawn from the church today, he's saying this in probably 1950. 95% of what we do would go on and no one would know the difference. See, Tozer is saying that people in the church, their self-assessment isn't accurate. They think they're fine. They think they're moving on happily, but they're in the dark. They're about ready to shipwreck their souls and they're going to take other people with them because they don't have the lamp of God's word. I want to close here with a great illustration that comes from Revelation chapter 3. And you can turn with me there. Pretty familiar passage where Jesus is making an assessment of seven different churches. And he starts in Ephesus and kind of goes clockwise around geography and he's just picking out these different churches. And the very last one is the church of Laodicea. And the angel comes to this church Verse 15, chapter 3, verse 15. I know your works. You're neither hot or cold or hot. Would you that you were either? So because you are lukewarm, you're neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. For you say, this is their self-assessment, I'm rich. I've prospered. I don't need anything not realizing that you are wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. See, what something got stolen here out of this church. The awe of God got stolen for the awe of materialism or self-sufficiency. I'm in awe of myself. I have so much money that my moat's so big, nothing can hurt me. This is the parable of the rich fool that Joseph talked about. Foolishness. And these are the people inside the church. And Jesus says, I'm just about ready to spit you out of my mouth. And I would end the sermon here, but it would just be too depressing. (laughs) And fortunately, it's not where Jesus ends. Verse 20. Behold, I stand at the door and what? I'm not. I'm knocking. Anyone, no matter how desperate you are, no matter how much in the darkness you are, no matter how long you've been asleep, anyone who hears. And this passage is trying to wake us up to say, I hear, I hear, I've been asleep, I've I started drifting, I, I've been anxious, I've been worried about myself, I've been collecting all this stuff. I, I hear, I've been chasing my kingdom. Paul, I hear it. I want to wake up to, to real reality. 
Jesus. He's coming again. And I want to open the door. And I want to see his face. And I want him to see my face. So today as a church, primarily aimed at me, but all of us, do we have the lamp of God? We can have another building. We can have a great fall festival. We can have a lot of great things, but you lose the lamp of God, got nothing. You. Is it possible you've fallen asleep? The world's just sucked you in somehow. Listen to the knock. Wake up. Don't be afraid to answer. Let's pray. Lord, your words are growing in intensity. We feel it by just following along with you in Luke 12, 13. I love the noise of this crowd because the, the, as soon as we leave this room, noise. And it's at the noisiest, darkest moments you're asking us, that's the moment I need you to follow. Would you help us, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.